Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Um, Today we are getting back to the fifth chapter of Acts, which we've been working through uh, over the last few weeks. And we've got another amazing incident in the fifth chapter of Acts that uh, happened in the early church. But before we get into that, I'd like to give us a little bit of background. I'm, <clears throat> I am sort of painfully, so my kids always told me, I'm painfully focused on context. And, and that's a bit what I like here this morning. So bear with me, because it does give us a little bit of colour and meaning to the incident that's happening. You see, at this time in history, the, the Romans were in charge of Palestine. And uh, Herod the Great, who gave the order to kill all the babies in Bethlehem, uh, he was the king. But he had worked his way, or greased his way, as some might say, uh, into favour with Rome, who ru- ruled, and he ruled parts of Palestine under the authority of Rome. And Herod the Great died while Jesus was in Egypt. You remember Mary and Joseph took Jesus and escaped out into Egypt. And while he was there, uh, Herod the Great died. But the uh, family of of Herod the Great, um, they became rulers in different parts. And there was three or four kind of areas that they were rulers. And and then the Romans... (coughs) they um, appointed other rulers uh, to take the places of Palestine that weren't covered by um, the Herod family. And so that's how Pilate got to be appointed as the governor of Judea, and Jerusalem was part of that area. And um, the family of Herods were descendants of Esau, and so that's Jacob's brother. So that was a recipe for strife right from the start uh, because the descendants of, of Jacob claimed that they were the true descendants right the way back to Abraham, but um, uh, the, the Esau line were claiming that they were the, the true descendants because Esau was the older brother of, of the twins. And, and um, ja- their mother... And Jacob had plotted a little scheme to steal the birthright blessing from Esau. And that happened. And so the line came down through Jacob and not Esau. So that was a recipe for conflict. Now, all of these regions and kings and leaders in Palestine were supported militarily from Rome. And so if there was uh, any riots or any unrest or any uprising, Rome came and dealt with that pretty brutally. And uh, this happened several times until they raided the whole area in 70 AD and wiped out a lot of the people and destroyed the temple at Jerusalem. And uh, that was the fulfillment of a prophecy that Jesus had talked about in Matthew 24. Uh, So um, it does seem that before that happened, 
uh, Rome were quite happy to let everything happen as it did or was, so long as the tax quota came through to Rome on time and the full amount, they pretty much left all those people doing what they wanted to do and trying to survive. The problem was that everybody who handled the tax money, and there was quite a few of them, they would all take their cut. And so the grassroots were really struggling under the control of Rome through all of the other sort of ways that things, that, that things went. And so they struggled, and, and so life was really tough. Now, for the Jewish people, there was another layer of control. It was the Sanhedrin. And, and they were always very eager to keep the peace and squash any uh, Jewish initiative for riot or, or uprising because they had quite a bit of religious freedom under this system, but it was still ruled from Rome. So the, the Jewish people really believed that when Messiah came, he would kick the Romans out and he would bring a new a wave, a new day, uh, and it would be like the rule of King David. And, and there would be freedom to practice the Jewish faith and to live in peace. So the makeup of the Sanhedrin, the, they were um, members of the high priestly family. They were the Pharisees who embraced the Old Testament writings. And they were the uh, Sadducees. And, and they only accepted the five books of Moses, which was Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And then there was the scribes. They were the people, you know, they were the copy machines in the day because they copied the scriptures. And there was a group called the Essence, and they were a very strict and tight group who, who meticulously observed every little point of the law of Moses. And so the Sanhedrin was made up of a number of between 70 and 100 people. And this group was the group that Jesus appeared before after he was arrested in Gethsemane. And so it was the highest Jewish court in that day, and it sat in that kind of order. So, I mean, we complain about having government, one government. Goodness me, there's three layers of control. There's a lot of oppression going on here. So uh, now back to Acts chapter 5, and uh, we're picking it up from verse 17. And this is about the impact Holy Spirit was having through the apostles at the time. Not just Peter and John, but all of the apostles were involved in this. Uh, verse 17, Then the high priest and his associates who were members of the party of the Sanhedrin of the of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in a public jail. Now the Sadducees could do that, you see, because they ran the temple. They were responsible for the security and the safety of the people and the temple and the correct practices of the sacrifices and the behaviour of the people in all the areas of the temple. So why were they jealous? Well, we're not really sure why, 
But my guess is, or lots of people have guessed, that it was because one thing was because the apostles were not trained in their Jewish law school. Um, now they, the apostles were very popular due to their teachings about Jesus and all the miracles and amazing things that were happening at that time. But also the religious leaders were being blamed for Jesus' death and they were pretty keen to wipe their slate and prove that they were right. So, the apostles, so to the apostles, their attitude was, this is our turf, you guys. Why are you doing the stuff that we haven't done And they probably felt very threatened about all the wonderful things that were happening around them. So the apostles are in prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the uh, uh, the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. Isn't that amazing? They're back to work, thanks to the Holy Spirit. When the high priest and the associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers couldn't find them. So they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked, the guards standing at the doors, But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On on hearing this report, the the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail, they're standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They 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 did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. I love this scene. (laughs) Here's the Sanhedrin, ready to preside over this case. They send for the prisoners. Oops, there's none. The prison holds no apostles. That's such a miracle, isn't it? Have you ever thought about that? How do you get 12 men out of prison in the middle of the night, all at the same time? Maybe you could scheme for one or two to to escape, but all 12 of them? And I find this so exciting and so amazing and so inspiring because as I read it through several times, it just struck me what a wonderful picture this is of the action of Holy Spirit. He cleaned out the prison and he set the apostles free from that that imprisonment because he just loves to break us out of our prisons and set us free. Why? So as we can feel good? So as we can feel clever or smart? So as we can feel, ha, 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 we're right? No, not at all. It was not about their comfort, nor about them focusing on themselves. It was to engage with Holy Spirit to do the will and the work of the Father and the prison they were in was getting in the way of doing that work. And so it is today. 
that the prisons we find ourselves in get in the way, in fact, mostly block what the Father wants to happen in the world and the place that we live and function in. It seems to me that it's been rather a rough ride for us all over the past 12 years or so with earthquakes and those awful, long aftershocks and then insurance claims for most of us and then lies and misinformation and struggles with so many things as we tried to adjust to a new normal. And then the mosque massacre. And then COVID with sickness and lockdowns. And then conflict about, uh, conflict about vaccinations. And we had demonstrations. We even had a riot that we haven't seen for years in New Zealand. And now a flu epidemic and an overloaded health system. And then added to that inflation going out of control and on rapid, a rapid rise and costs are going crazy. And then we're having to adjust to a different new normal almost every day. And the Oh, and the disaster last night. Of course. Oh. I was expecting to read the news this morning that the coach had resigned. Whatever. Let's not go there. <clears throat> we have to adjust to a new normal. We're not the most important, best rugby world, um, country in the world. That's awful. Uh, so anyway, this has resulted, or might still, result in super doses of, supercharged doses of fear and distress and anxiety and worry and arguments and the like these past 12 years. And one of the significant results is of this is that we have learned to focus on ourselves, uh, more about what I need, more about my fears, more about my anxieties, more about safe, my safety, more about my health, more about my financial concerns than ever before. And we can even be anxious about being anxious. We can even be afraid about being afraid. It just seems to have built a huge wall of stuff that we have to work, that bears down upon us and we need to work through. And for many of us, this is like a prison because we now feel restricted and, and sometimes even feel like the, the walls of life are pressing in upon us. We have been through some rough waters, that's for sure. Will God come in a miraculous way and change all these circumstances? Will he bring us peace and prosperity and smooth out the waters locally, nationally, or internationally? I don't think so. So how should we respond then? Well, just like the apostles did. The oppression that they were living under, the rule that they were living under, how did they respond? Well, get out of prison and do the work of God in our space. Each and every day. And if God chooses to change the circumstances, he'll do that. But if not, 
it doesn't change what we need to do, focus on. The mission of the Father that he's called us to do. And the early church leaders were not always rescued from prison, I might add. But we'll see that later in the book of Acts. But their hearts were free. Their spirits were alive to work with Holy Spirit regardless of the circumstances. They were focused on a mission much greater than their own personal issues. They were focused on a world of people who needed to see Jesus. And for me, this is the challenge from this passage of Scripture in this book of Acts today. Get out of prison and do the work of God in our space this day, this week, next week. Sorry, that's easy to say. What might that look like? Well, perhaps we could grow an aura like Peter did, as Josh explained last week. Wouldn't that be something? Walk down the street and all these people behind you are are just being healed and, 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 and restored and miracles happening. Wouldn't that be amazing? Maybe. But the work of God is not all about the spectacular stuff. It's not just about the miracles and healings and deliverances, although these are a vital part of what we're about. It's helping people find Jesus. And that always takes a miracle or ten and helping them and each other to survive whatever circumstances we are in. Helping other people to break out of their prisons and follow in his ways, even especially when it's tough and rough going and uh, sometimes interrupted by amazing acts of God. What a journey we're called to. So the question is, What prisons am I in that are holding me back from doing the work and the will of God? Not, uh, sorry, now, today, tomorrow, and this week. Well, the mark of a Christian in the world that we live in is, is that our lives move to a different rhythm than the culture we live in. And Jesus said something like this in Luke 6. It's critically important for us today that we love our enemies instead of sending them abusive Facebook messages. We do good to those who hate us. We bless those who curse us, those that badmouth us or lie about us. We bless them. We pray for, not against, those who mistreat us. We give to anyone who asks. I love how the message puts this. Jesus said, love your enemies Um, uh, help and and give without expecting return. You'll never, I promise, regret that. And then he says this, live out this God-centered identity the way our Father lives towards us, generously, graciously, even when we're at our worst. Oh, when I'm at my worst, I think God thinks, oh, I'm looking the other way. It's so bad. But no, he is, even when I'm at my worst, my, our Father is kind. So you be kind. This kind of action can only come from relationship with our Father because he is, his love is the source of our action. And this action 
can be things that other people may never see, may never read about, may never hear about. And if you look hard enough, there's a lot of that going on in the book of Acts, behind the scenes in the early church. Not only miracles and spectacular stuff, but let me be clear. There's no way I want to downgrade the miracles and healings and deliverances. Not one bit. But we need an increase in both. Both these things need to grow. So we seem to have learned in the past few years to to focus more on what I need uh, than to care for others and what they need. I must confess that other people seem to have more of the spectacular stuff happen with them than I do. And the stories that I read about and hear about usually have obvious, immediate and miraculous results. But for me, it's usually a bit like this. It was the last day of work before Christmas a few years ago, and we managed to finish up at work about mid-afternoon. So I headed off to the mall on my way home, probably to buy a coffee and a last-minute Christmas present. I should remember those Christmas presents, shouldn't I? And as I was locking my bike into the bike rack, a rather agitated guy in his mid to late 20s asked me for some money to buy some petrol because his ute or pickup truck, whatever you want to call it, had run out of petrol, and he said he had no money and he was trying to get home to his mum for Christmas. This guy was wheeling a BMX bike, and on the other hand, he had a red petrol can. You know those red things. Um, So he looked reasonably genuine that he'd actually run out of petrol, so he jumped on his bike to see if he could find some money and some petrol. But he was incredibly distressed. And, and, and he was very intense, and he was speaking so fast and loud, I had trouble understanding what it was all about. It wasn't just my hearing aids. I asked him to calm down, take a breath, and start again, which he did attempt to do. But it only lasted about two seconds before his agitation swamped him again. I did hear, I need money for petrol. I said, look, I've got no cash which was absolutely true because I very seldom ever carry cash on me. But that seemed to increase his stress levels. So I said, look, there's a, there's a petrol station about a kilometre away. You follow me on your bike and I'll fill up your can for petrol. When we got to the service station, I filled his can and I, uh, with petrol and I paid by card because I did have my credit card with me. But his stress levels and his anxiety were still very very high. And now he was talking about needing a toilet. He wanted to wash his face and he hadn't eaten. So I pointed out where the toilets were in the service station. I went next door to Subway and bought some food and a bottle of water. Back at our bikes, he'd started to slow down just a bit. But now he was starting to tell me that he had no job and he wasn't sure what things were going to do and it all started to wind him up again. Well, employment can't be solved one day before Christmas, believe me. I managed to get a few words in about the fact that he now had petrol, he had water, he had food. So take a deep breath, calm the farm, take some water, eat some food, put the petrol in your ute and go visit your mum for Christmas. Well, he did pause for a moment, so I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, I trust you have a great Christmas with your mum and left. And as I rode away, I remember thinking, 
What on earth was that about, Lord? Did I do the right thing? Did I do enough? Did I fail? I saw no evidence. I just left. The only thought that seemed to come to my troubled mind at that point was, just leave it to me. So why am I telling you this totally unspectacular story and not a story with an amazing ending with this guy calming down, being emotionally healed and coming to know Jesus on the garage forecourt? Well, simply because to the human eye, this is totally unspectacular. And because I firmly believe that I and probably most of us here believe that when we don't see amazing results right in front of us right now, we feel like we've failed. We've done the wrong thing. We don't have enough faith. We should have done it a different way. And sometimes we can play it over and over in our head again about what we could have done or should have done or might have done and end up full of fear that we've failed. This can be a prison, these failures, that block us from doing the will of God. I don't know what happened that day. I still don't. But I do feel, and I did feel at the time, I did all I should have done. And sometimes this is what the work of God is actually like. And just because it's not spectacular, it's no less important. It's like praying for miracles and healings and for deliverances. We tend to expect the fireworks right now, right in this place, immediately and obviously. And when they don't, we end up in failure. You know, of course, that many of the miracles Jesus did are not recorded. If you doubt me, read John 21, 25. Others were very quiet and private. He sent people out of the room at times. He, he prayed very privately for uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and she was healed. And if you go through the miracles, there's some that are very quiet. Nobody knew who, who sorted the wine out at the wedding. What was that about? While others were very public. Some were very loud. You imagine Lazarus coming out of the tomb. That was pretty loud. And, there were, and, and a lot of them, some of them were full of fireworks. Fireworks from the religious leaders. Fireworks from the demons. Fireworks from the crowd. And so Holy Spirit, I believe, wants to come to each one of us today. And say to us, John, I see you. I see who you are. I see all your fears. I see your life. I see your concerns about failures. I see all your worries. I see all of the details of your prison. And just like the apostles, he wants to lead us out of our prisons, whatever they are. Especially today, those of fear and anxiety and worry 
and failures. But not only today, but every day. So that we can refocus on the will of the Father as Holy Spirit works in us and through us. So this morning there's really just two things. One, get out of prison. And the Holy Spirit is here to help with that because this can be tough and sometimes needing a miracle or ten. And then secondly, learn some skills to stay out of prison. Every day, if you write down two or three things that you are grateful for, different things, blessings from God. I tried this for a month when I was at a fairly low point. For a whole month, every day, I wrote down three different things that I was grateful for. And kind of at the end of it, looking back, I wondered why I stopped. But I proved the point. It absolutely helps stay out of prison when we are grateful for the blessings that God has given us. And the more you look for them, the more you'll find. And then refocus on the mission. Get our eyes off ourselves. I know it's important to think about our health and all those kind of things, but it's getting too much. It's getting way out of, it's out of balance. And that's what I believe we need to learn this morning, to refine the balance in God about ourselves and about the mission we're called to and about the prisons we've ended up in. And so that's kind of the end. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us. Thank you that you quite miraculously ripped those apostles out of prison and no one knew anything about it. What a miracle. And you can do that for each one of us today and every day. Thank you for your greatness and your goodness to us. Amen. I'd like us to... um, we haven't done this for quite a while, is to get into some small groups. And I've got two or three questions I'd like you to go through. So um, if you could find somebody, um, two or three or four people just close by, uh, turn around and shift the furniture. And, and um, if you need to, uh, go talk. Go, if you want to go and, uh, and be in a group with someone in particular, please do that. And uh, I'll put up some things on the screen here to uh, um, pray for each other, Um, pray for release or refocus or both out of the prisons, if you feel you can do that with the people in your group, Uh, and then share two or three things about the things that you're grateful for God about. So could we just do that now as we come to the kind of the end of this, and then when your group is finished, if, if that's all you feel you can do. Uh, You don't have to stick to those questions. Uh, They may not be appropriate for you, so feel free to do that. But three or four people, otherwise (coughs) it can take a bit long. Um, But if you want time, feel free to do that. And so thank you for coming.